I draw your attention to Genesis 1 this morning. We are going to read a lengthy portion of Scripture, but I think it will be profitable for us to do so. We're going to be reading Genesis 1 through 2, verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seeds, and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruits and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. My gracious Heavenly Father and Creator, We thank you for what you reveal to us in your word. Lord, we ask that this morning you might show us your glory from this text which you've given to us. Lord, that we the creature might stand in awe of you the creator. Help us this morning. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Word of God that we pray. Amen. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. Much for us to look at from God's Word this morning. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will enable us to see some wonderful things out of His Word this morning. There are a few things I'd like for us to remember as we go through what is recorded here in this text for us. The first thing is that we have in the Word of God the one and only eyewitness record of creation. Not that Moses was an eyewitness to this, but Moses spoke with God much like a stenographer. Uh, Moses records for us what God dictated to him, what God gave him to record and told him 
regarding his creation and how he, the God who rules and reigns, the only one who we saw last week that actually has the power to create, how he made this world out of nothing but his power by his word. Second thing I want to remember this morning is that God is a God of order. Pay attention to how God creates and orders this world that he created. He is no haphazard creator. There is order and there is pattern to what he does, how he does it, and what he accomplishes through it. Which leads us to the third thing I would like for us to remember. That this creator God is a God of purpose. There is reason behind everything that God does and everything that he reveals about what he does even in creation. Creation itself necessitates purpose. This is one of the things that puts the Christian at odds with the non-Christian, uh, at odds with the pagan, at odds with the humanist, or at odds with the secularist. secularist. God has revealed not just to us this creation that we can behold with our eyes, but he has revealed to us much more by declaring what he has done in creation and in the week of creation. He is revealing himself to us. He's revealing his attributes to us, his wisdom, his providence, his power. Even his triune nature is hinted at here in this passage. We learn so much from this historical account of how God created the world and how our lives came into being, our beginning, our genesis. Last week, we concentrated on the first part of verse 1, and we left off, for the most part, the last four words in verse 1. Now, we're not going to just be in verse 1 this morning. I am going to try and make our way all the way through to chapter 2. Well, what did God create? In, in Genesis 1.1, we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What did God create? He created the heavens and the earth. Now, the reason I kind of left that off last week, there was a reason for doing this and, and for putting it off until today, is that what follows in Genesis 1-2 is often put at odds, so to speak, with what, we, what preceded it, with that which came before it, that God created the heavens and the earth. What some say is that Genesis 1-1 states that God created the heavens and the earth, and then in Genesis 1-2, where he states the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There are some that say that this is evidence of a world that became, not was without form and void, but became without form and void. That something, insinuating that something catastrophic had occurred, and God laid waste to his original creation in Genesis 1-1. In fact, I believe it was the Schofield Bible that puts in the references that word became. 
off in a, a side note, as a reference note, giving some credence to this idea in those who read from the Schofield Bible that this idea of creation that had been laid to waste and destroyed with God recreating in verse 2, but became is not what our text says. Our text says that it, it was without form and void. The earth was without form and void. We may talk about this a little bit more in a bit, but what was taking place and what has transpired to make men think this is a felt need to have one of two things accounted for. The first thing that they felt like there was a need to account for was Satan's fall. We dealt with this already in our study of Ephesians. The second are the theories of man regarding geology, that formation of layer after layer of the earth that to, to these God-hating, uh, Bible-denying, man-centered scientists say that this takes millions of years for these layers to form. The strata of the composition of, of our, our earth so trying to reconcile those theories and the theories of then what took place after the, the theories about geology was a man named Darwin with his theories on biology. Well, if we have millions of years for the earth to form, we can have millions and billions of years for biology to form. So there is this uh, desire of some to reconcile the thoughts of man in regards to the formation of life through billions of years or millions of years of evolutionary process. Uh, these theories of geology and biology that are postulated by disbelieving scientific minds and put forward in their godless theories of our earth and the life that's contained on it. So in, in, in an effort to account for these things, some believers have inserted a creative act of God and a span of time, a great span of time, in which death and catastrophe occurred prior to Adam's sin. Now, let me make sure that you understand what, what is going on here. That there is a span of time between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 where death occurs. Not only... Is this an unnecessary inference? I believe this is in absolute error, and I think it's therefore dangerous. It's in direct opposition to God's word. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 15.21, For as by a man came death. Death cannot come before man's sin. Well then, what are we to understand then? What is, how do we reconcile this verse 1 and verse 2? I believe that we take God at his word and understand that in the beginning, he, that's God, created the heavens and the earth, which in the very beginning of day one, when he creates the heavens and the earth, they are just what he says they are. They are without form 
and void. They are yet disorganized and empty. They are uninhabited and at this time uninhabitable. Isn't that what would make the most logical sense and straightforward, give us the best straightforward understanding of what the text is saying in light of what God is going to reveal to us about his creation over these days? What he's going to do over the rest of day one and the next five days where he purposefully and in perfect order makes the earth a place where man may dwell. This without form and void is used in other places such as Jeremiah 4.23 where God is declaring a disaster that is to come and stating in Jeremiah 4.23, I looked on the earth and behold it was without form and void and to the heavens they had no light. What is Jeremiah saying? He is saying that this place is uninhabitable. It is uninhabited. There is no light in it. It is incapable of bearing life. Also in Isaiah 34, this is the same word that is used for emptiness. Where the prophet is speaking in Isaiah 34 about a place where no man shall dwell. He has stretched, the prophet says, out the plumb line of emptiness. The same word for void, emptiness. We are to understand that at the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and at the very beginning they were without form and void with darkness over the face of the deep meaning the great expanse of all this heaven and earth. And then we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters over that form without form and void that which God had created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit of God ready to act upon the Word of God. Think about that for a second. The Spirit is hovering. One of the commentators says, the Spirit of God fluttered like a nurturing bird over the dark. Do you see what we have here? The psalmist, in Psalm 33, 6, we read from this psalm earlier, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. The Spirit being the same word in Hebrew for breath. It is the Spirit which acts upon the word of God. This first and powerful hint to the triune God that we have in this second verse of Scripture. And I think that an application must be made here. We said that God is a God of purpose and order. And in his creation, he shows forth his purpose and his order. He's revealing himself through his word here. And what does it tell us? It speaks of the spirit of God hovering over that which is yet devoid of life. That which is yet unable to support life. And what is the Spirit doing? The Spirit is waiting upon the Word of God to be spoken into this world that is without form and void. And then what happens? What happens? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. What are we to take from this? I feel like, Isaiah, have you not seen? Have you not heard? 
The Spirit of God is waiting to act upon the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is breathed out and it does not return void. It accomplishes what he sent it forth to accomplish, whatever he purposes. Christian, do you not see in this what takes place in your own soul? The word of God was sent forth and the Spirit brought to you a new heart and gave you life. The Spirit is hovering over the deep, over the dark, waiting for the word of God to be spoken and to bring life. This same Spirit which hovers over that which is without form and void is hovering over the mass of fallen humanity still. Waiting on God's word to make dead souls living and alive to God. God does things not haphazardly, but with purpose, with intent. He orders all things so that we might better understand who he is, And what he is doing, and here in the opening chapters of God's word, we already see foreshadowing of salvation in the work of the Spirit and in light of what is coming to happen in chapter 3. I want to try and move quickly here as we work through these days of creation. As God is preparing that which is without form and void, that which is uninhabitable and uninhabited for habitation in day one we already mentioned this but let's make note of this here that here on day one God spoke the word of God issued forth and said let there be light and there was light right before this darkness had been and light is necessary for life God says, let there be light, and there was light. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And Scripture tells us plainly that there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. We now have revealed to us how the Creator creates. He creates with His Word. This is the only tool that He used. It's His Word. Isn't that what John points to in John 1, 1 through 3? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. All it took to create was His mere Word. There is no difficulty. There is no struggle. There's no complication. Just the power of his word. That's all it takes to create. There was evening, which was darkness. And there was morning, which was light. And there was the first day, the first measurement of time. Without sun and moon yet, in God's providence, in his ordering, in his order of creation, there is light called day and darkness called night. We could spend some time talking about this and how this might be in light of the fact that the sun and the moon aren't even created until day four. 
but we will leave that to a, another time and take God's word for what it states. There was evening and there was morning the first day. Once again, I would point out to you that there is foreshadowing of salvation in the creation of light. This is what Paul picks up on in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 when he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Drawing our attention back to what God did in creation in saying, Let there be light, and there was light. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Foreshadowing of salvation. Well, God then once again speaks. And he says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. God made this expanse and he separated the waters below and the waters that were above and he called it heaven. These waters above called heaven or the sky. That which separates the waters from the waters above are the clouds. That is the atmosphere of the earth which he created, the waters being what he will in the next day call seas that are below from the waters held above, which are held in the clouds. So there's this expanse in the midst of the waters and it's separating what he will eventually call seas from what we have the waters in the clouds, which are in the heavens. And this sky that he creates that separates those two. Jeremiah twice over repeats this in uh, Jeremiah 10 and Jeremiah 51. Both places he says, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. He creates this expanse. He creates the sky. God, by his word, creates, and he creates the sky, which we behold when we go outside and we cast our gaze up into heaven. We see the blue sky, which he created here. And once again, there's a period of darkness and light. There's evening and there is morning the second day. Well, day three brings forth even more form in order to creation as God prepares that which he created for life. The earth is now warmed and it's made visible in the light which God created in day one. And it is now displayed as the blue skies above and the water below and those waters that are above in the sky are being now contained in the clouds, these puffs of white in the blue skies that we see. Well, he now speaks and the waters below the sky are gathered together in one place. And he calls into existence by his word, dry land. And he says it was so. He called the dry land earth and the waters below he called the sea. Can you think, just imagine with me, what the beauty of this created world in this state right here must have been like? Must have been mesmerizing. 
Because God looked at it and he said it's good. He said it's good. It is prepared. It's good and it is prepared to bring forth the plant life. That which was without form and void has been now made ordered and partially fill, filled and is ready. So he speaks again and what does he do? He brings forth from the earth, from this land, vegetation, plants yielding seeds, tree, fruit trees bearing fruit which contain seeds, each according to its kind. Each according to its kind. And then God once again saw what he had created and said, it is good. Well, God is further preparing the earth for the habitation of man. Once again at this point, there is evening and there is morning the third day. This is supported elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, listen to these references that we have in Scripture that bring forth the truth of what God created here in this third day of creation. In Jonah 1.9, Jonah, if you will remember in this first chapter, was running from God. And he got on a ship bound in the opposite direction of what God had told him to go and to preach repentance to Nineveh. And the storms came. Pretty bad storms, right? And the sailors that were on this boat cast lots to find out who it was that was the cause of this. And a lot fell on Jonah. And Jonah says, in Jonah 1.9, And he said to them, that's the other sailors and the people on that boat, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah knew who the Creator was. Psalm 33, 7, once again we read from this earlier, He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and He puts the deep in storehouses. Psalm 136, 6, To him who spread out the earth above the waters. Jeremiah 5, 22, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I, God says, placed the sand, the earth, the land. I placed the sand as the boundary for the sea a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. And Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, 5, For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God. Peter says this is no myth. This is no fable. This is no allegory. This is how the earth was created. Well, day four begins to show even more how God is a God of purpose and order. 
in day four, God again speaks and says, Let the lights in the heavens to separate the day from night. Let there be lights in the heavens to separate the day from night. That they may be used for what? For seasons? For signs? For days? For years? He fills the heavens from the vantage point of earth with luminous light-bearing objects. Created objects that he creates to bear light and he hurls them from the point of his creation earth into the heavens. And he sets their places so that they can be viewed from the earth. He fills his creation. This, in, in, in terms of the order that God has with his creation and the way it is ordered, he is now in day four, five, and six filling what he created in day one, two, and three. He fills his creation with that which he created in day one here in day four. He created light in day one and now fills celestial bodies with this light to be light bearers to mark out the seasons and the years and the days. He places one in particular to rule over the day and he places another to rule over the night. But he doesn't here name them at this point in creation. Psalm 136, 7 speaks of this. He says, To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. God is revealing to his people, to this, this, these children of Israel, while they were wandering in this, the wilderness, after coming out of Egypt, where this the, the polytheistic Egyptians worshiping multitudes of gods. They worshiped the sun and the moon as gods. Well, the God who rules over all and who created all things, the God of all creation declares the truth to his people about the light that rules the day and the light that rules the night. They are not gods, but they are creation that he has spoken into existence and filled with the light that he created in day one. Objects which he created, not gods. It's God declaring truth from lies making a, a contradiction between the lies of the Egyptians and the truth of how he actually created things. True religion as opposed to paganism. And look at well, as well, how these things are being pointed towards God's purpose in revealing all he is making known and how it is being focused on the purpose of creation to be a dwelling place for man. Look at verse 16 in Genesis 1 verse 16. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. The main focus of God's 
revelation here about his creation of these lights is what transpires here on earth. The great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And then almost like an afterthought and the stars. God is focused here on the earth that he created. It is here on this earth that his most glorious act will be set forward and displayed. As great as all of creation is, and it is a most wondrous thing, this that he's created, as vast as it is, as beautiful as it is, nothing is more glorious than what is set to take place here, on this place called earth, on the dry land and the sea which he created. Do you start to see the order and the purpose here of creation? God is now focusing his main revelation not on the vastness of outer space, not on the multitude of the galaxies that we have in the vastness of space, but on earth here. God is focusing his main revelation to this place where redemption will be accomplished. Where redemption will be accomplished and applied. To where he will make all things right and new that will soon be marred when we reach Genesis 3. The stars above get no more mention than this and the stars. Ponder that just again for just a moment. How awesome is space? How vast is space? If you've ever been to the Creation Museum and sat in that planetarium, as they go through this 3D, I don't even know what the theater is called. You're sitting in a chair and it's surrounding you. And they go through the vastness of what this, the created universe is. It's awesome. There's no other word to describe it, but awesome. How do you even begin to measure it? There's one point that they take you through this video that they play to another part in another galaxy of outer space. And you are who knows how many light years away. The vastness of space. How beautiful are the constellations that we see? I don't know many people who don't love to get in a place where there's no light pollution and to get out on a clear night and look up and see the hosts of heaven, the stars shining, the constellations and the bright lights, how mesmerizing these clusters of stars are which make up the galaxies, how beautiful the colors and the shapes. If you've ever looked at some of the pictures that are taken with the Hubble telescope, just beautiful, beautiful shapes and, and colors that come out. And how great must our God be to create all of these things. How powerful, how wise 
yet how insignificant all these things become when we see his love, his grace, and his mercy. And the Savior, the Word which is creating here in Genesis, who speaks all things to, in, into existence, this Word, the love and the grace and the mercy of God, that this Word would take on the form of sinful flesh and come and die a sinner's death for you and me. Every bit of what we're looking into and when we look into this creation account is the work of our Savior, the Word of God. Every bit of it. Yet everything that we see and how mesmerizing the, the, the beauty of creation is is nothing compared to the beauty of our Savior who comes and redeems us after the fall. Well, God saw what he had done on this fourth day. He saw that it was good, and once again there's evening and morning, and it's the fourth day. Day five begins, and God speaks. Let the waters swarm with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the expanse of the skies. And God, by his word, creates every living creature that swarms in the waters each after its own kind and every winged bird according to its kind, and he sees that it is good. And he blesses them and he commands them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the seas and fill the earth. Here is his order and purpose as he fills what he created on day two when he created the sky and the water below. Psalm 104, verse 25 and 26 says, Here is the sea great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. God creates and fills that which he created on day two. Day six begins once again with God speaking and saying, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth, all according to their kinds. And God's words says it was so and that it was good. Once again, we see that God is filling here in day six what he created in day three. This is his purpose and his order. And it's here in day six that we come to the climax of his creation. Still on the sixth day, we come to the crowning work of the creator. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Well, how is it that man is created after the image of God? There's lots of 
lots of people who have opinions on this. Uh, I think that many have erred in this area and they want to in some way make this image being that of a physical image, a resemblance of physical things. But I think what Scripture is getting us to see is that these are more uh, the image of God in terms of the attributes of God. There are some attributes that God has given to us that are what we call his communicable attributes, those which he has bestowed upon us, mankind, as he made us in his image. And this is different than all else that is recorded in Scripture that he has done with his other creatures, that he has made his other physical creatures. Man alone among the physical creation is made in the image of God and he is capable of rational thought. And he is a moral creature with the capacity to know right from wrong. And he's made to have dominion over the rest of creation. He is also made in the image of God in, a, I think, a very important way that is absolutely imperative to our understanding of the unfolding revelation of God and his purposes, his ultimate purposes and plans. It is in this particular way that man is unlike any of the other creatures, physical creatures that God had created, in that God made man with a soul. He made man with a soul, an everlasting component, who, though man was created, once man is created, he will live an eternal life. His soul will live eternally. He will either live in eternal life or he will live in eternal death. This is very different than any other of God's creatures. This is why our understanding of creation, and in particular the creation of man, which we'll deal with more next week as we get into chapter 2, which is not a, uh, as some, a, a different creation. Um, we'll talk about this later, but this is a, it's almost like God is, is painting a canvas for us of, of his creation. And he, he shows us as part of this mural, let's say, of six days of creation. On day six, he creates man. But then in chapter two, it's almost as if he takes that portion of day six and zooms in and further reveals to us how and why and for, for what reason, according to his purposes and his providences, why he created man and how he created man. And what occurs after creating man. But our understanding of the fact that we are a creature that has been given a soul is very important. It's, it's absolutely imperative that we understand this. Because these have, this, this understanding has salvific ramifications. This is not just a life or death matter the fact that we have a soul. This is an eternal life or an eternal death matter. 
It's not like all other creatures where they're alive and they're dead and that's it. This is not the way man is made. Man is created fearfully and wonderfully made. Knit together by God in our mother's womb with a soul. A soul that will either be made alive and redeemed by God. Or left to doom in everlasting punishment. We're created in the image of God. We have this eternality that is given to us. Well, it's also important for us to see what follows in Genesis 1, 28 through 30. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Natural revelation, that which Adam and Eve could see with their eyes, taste, feel, hear, must have spoken volumes to Adam and Eve. But it was not enough. And still, natural revelation is not enough. God revealed himself through his word, not only after the fall, but here before the fall, we have God speaking to created man. We see him speaking to Adam and instructing Adam in regards to Adam's purpose and that which also Adam is blessed with. God revealed to Adam that he is blessed and that his purpose is for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue the earth, to use for their needs, to have dominion over the creation that God had made, all that it contains. All the plants are given to them for food for food for them and for the animals to eat as well. There was, there was no death at this time. No animal being slain for food. We will talk about when we get further on the first animal that was slain and what it was for and what it pictures and, and teaches us and reveals to us about who God is and what he's done on our behalf. But during this time, Every single aspect of nature is favorable to man. Every aspect of it. There's no thorns on the bushes. There's no thistles that get in the way of him getting his food. There's no wild animals that he has to fend off. There's no conflict. There's no storms. There's no periods of hot or cold. Every single thing is favorable to man. God had purposefully and in great order created the world for this. And then God saw that everything that he made 
was not only good, but that it was very good. And then there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then we read in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I really wish that we had the time this morning to look at this rest. Lord willing, we'll do this as we move into chapter 2 next week. I know we rushed through this, but I wanted to get through through this portion, so uh, I think we can focus a little bit more on the intent of creation next time. But I want, while we're here in this portion of Scripture, to take away a few things from this. Um, so we'll mention a few things in closing. The first thing that we'll mention is this is God's work. It's supernatural, this work of creation. It's miraculous. It's a miraculous work of creation in six days. There's a lot of people, I know several of them, who will say that this can't be done in six days. can't be done. It doesn't fit with science. They don't understand science. No one can go back in time and observe what happened at this period in the past. There's not a person alive who can go back. All that they can do is theorize, come up with their ideas of what they currently observe of creation, and try and hypothesize back to what happened. There's no observational science that can be done on creation. There is one eyewitness to creation. And he's told us exactly what he did. Most of the time, these theories come from a heart that's at enmity to God and won't submit to Him. A heart that Romans 1 says would rather serve the creature than the Creator. You know, God alone reveals to us the history of creation. I'll remind you that no portion of Scripture treats this historical narrative of Genesis as a myth or a fable. Not a single portion of Scripture treats it that way. It's truth, and it is a record of what God did in creating the heavens and the earth and forming them and in ordering them with purpose and with intent. There have been numerous attempts to harmonize this biblical account of creation with so-called findings of science. been happening for hundreds of years. But none of these attempts are consistent with the record of Scripture and are mostly done by religious men who think of themselves as scholars who are ashamed of the biblical account in light of what the mere word of men says. Now, how sad is that? That someone would bow more to the word of man than the word of God himself who created but that's what happens. We don't seek to harmonize the theories of man with the self-revelation 
of God, who is the king of creation. When men have tried, it has led to the fabrication of all sorts of theories and doctrines, ideas, that increasingly, when they start to go down that road, lead them far away from the authority of Scripture to where they believe in basically nothing. We have several instances of that occurring in our present time. God's word alone stands. God's word. All the words and ideas of the, the deniers, all the man-centered theories will one day be put to end and they'll be crushed under the word of God. Mark it down now. In the end, this is what will happen. God's word will stand. The twisted attempts have led to things, and skip over a lot of this just for brevity, but uh, attempts to make this account allegory or mythology, poetry, when not a single instance of Hebrew poetry bears any resemblance to what this is in Genesis 1. And I can give you a couple examples of that if you're interested where we have fairly, uh, uh, well, chapter after chapter even, where we have a narrative account followed by a, uh, a prayer in more a form of a poem and how they differ and the, the methods that are used and the linguistics that are used. Uh, it's, it's very clear. There is none of that here in Genesis 1. It's led to theories that are called restitution theory, reconstruction theory, gap theory, day-age theory, all ways of trying to harmonize Scripture with man's ideas. Dangerous to do and very destructive. And then evolution, that which we're probably all the most familiar with, has led to a term that has been used, theistic evolution, where... Man who wants to capitulate uh, to that which secular society and uh, deniers of biblical truth, uh, they want to capitulate and, and harmonize Scripture with the beliefs that these people hold. And they'll, they'll still kind of have God on the throne, but they'll say that God has made use of millions of years through evolution to accomplish his purpose. There are many issues with this. Many issues. We've already talked about a little bit. You have to have death coming before Adam's fall. Lots of issues with these things. The fact that evolution would be a process that God uses when God clearly states in the scripture that we just read that he created each thing after its own kind. You don't have one species forming into another species. God created each according to its kind. Each according to its kind. Well, where do all these scripture-denying theories lead? This is the problem and the problem we're facing as the church today. They lead to hopelessness, helplessness, despair. There's no purpose. There's no direction. There's no meaning to life. Certainly no meaning in suffering. Basically, it's live and die. 
with no purpose, no meaning, no hope. This is a far cry from what God reveals to us in Scripture. A far cry from it. He reveals himself as creator God that is transcendent. He is far above us, but he's also imminent. He's also near us. So near to us that John says he became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. And then later in that gospel of John, he records that John the Baptist says of this word of God, who became flesh and dwelt among us, as he was walking towards him, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the word that created all that we read about this morning. That came to earth. Became a man. Dwelt tabernacled among us. To become, to be that lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that we might be partakers of all that is his by right. Well, what is this creation in closing? What is this creation and this understanding of creation? God's revealed his way of creation, what is it, what does it cause us to do? It causes us to worship. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And confidence in our God. Confidence that he will accomplish what he has purposed. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let the earth form, and the earth formed. Confidence that he will do what he purposes. He has the power to accomplish it. He has the right. He has the authority, all that is needed. Isaiah 40 Go, go home and read Isaiah 40, 12 through 31. Confidence in our God. And the psalmist in closing says in 121, Psalm 121, 1, two, 1 through 2, says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. And then he asks the question, where does my help come from? What is the psalmist's answer? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Confidence in our God, who is our help. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we look forward to going further here and looking at what you reveal to us in the creation of Adam and Eve. We look forward to looking at what it is that is our rest. It is patterned after the rest of the seventh day. Lord, we look forward to delving into the truth of what happened in Genesis 3 with the fall. Lord, it explains why 
so much of what we see in the world is. And Lord, we look forward to seeing the picture of what you've done in light of that to redeem fallen man. Lord, we thank you for our Savior. We thank you for his work in creation and the confidence that we can have in his finished work. Be with us, Lord, as we fellowship. And be with us as we go our separate ways. May we bear your light to the world. To the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.